thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We are very honored to have Boaz here with us this evening to share this story, to, sh- in, to educate us, but also to share this story um, of his parents and their experience during the Holocaust. So would you guys all join with me and welcome Boaz in my ear. Good evening, everybody. Um, thank you, Pastor Gain, for the generous introduction. Um, we're going to talk today about the Holocaust today, and um, it's not an easy topic for anybody to talk about. Definitely not for a Jewish guy, definitely not for an Israeli guy. Um, <clears throat> But we emerged from the Holocaust. The State of Israel came about after the Holocaust, and we are so proud of it, and we are so happy that we are here. We are so grateful that you guys are here. Our friends, our allies can tell you how much I, whenever I come to the Israel Awareness Day, I'm just, I'm getting goosebumps. You guys are the biggest Zionists I ever saw. And, You know, I'm looking at Pastor George here. Uh, I remember six years ago, I'll share a story with you. So, as Pastor Rod said, I was a West Coast Regional Director for the Jewish Agency for Israel before coming to Denver. And the Jewish Agency for Israel is responsible for everybody who immigrates to Israel. It's called Aliyah. If you immigrate to Israel, you become a new immigrant, Ole Chadash. And I am on the job two weeks, three weeks. I'm getting a phone call, and I was told there is a Christians United for Israel event in Sacramento, which was in my territory. And they are asking for a, a proposal for one of the absorption centers, which is handled by the Jewish Agency for Israel. So everybody who immigrates to Israel goes through the process. You know, everybody who is Jewish is entitled automatically to become a citizen of Israel. And when you come to Israel, you you have the right to go for two years to live in an absorption center, the whole family. The first six months you study Hebrew, and then after that, the kids go to school, they get special education for language, and the adults get job training and job placement. Sounds ideal, you know, not so easy when it comes to Israel, bureaucracy, you know, the attitude of the Israelis, never an easy thing. But you know, I was, I gotta tell you, I was embarrassed. I am embarrassed today. I didn't know what Christians United for Israel is. So I'm getting a phone call. You have 48 hours to come with a proposal and make sure, these were the instructions, you shake the hand of Pastor Hagee. I'm like, okay, if that's what I have to do, that's what I have to do. (laughs) So I'm going, and I have no idea what I'm going into. 
the only thing in my mind, I have to shake his hand and I have to submit to Wendy, right? Wendy Neal, I have to submit the proposal. So we go back and forth, we put the proposal together and I am just shocked. I am looking at the Israel Awareness Day ceremony over there and I'm like, I want to be one of you guys. I am, this is just incredible. I, where are all those Israel lovers were before? Unbelievable. I just fell in love. So then I traveled with Randy. We did this one in Las Vegas and one in Orange County. And then I had the pleasure to come to Denver and see the true friendship that you guys are to my country, to the homeland of us Jewish people, and for you guys. And I am just thankful for that relationship and I'm honored to be here today, even though it's a Holocaust day, and it's, we're gonna go over my family story, we're gonna go over the Holocaust, and we're gonna end with a hope and with a smile, because we have to move on, and we have to um, make sure that we know, that we study. I see some really young kids here, um, some of the pictures that you will see in the presentation might be difficult to see, but I think it's important for all of us to see them as we go along. And I have my sound man and my good friend, Ayala. Ayal, stand up, because... <clears throat> who, will help me, ..who will help me today, and if he doesn't do a good job, he will do 20 or 30 push-ups, and, uh, and he will learn how to do that. Yeah, go ahead, let's move on to the next slide. What is a holocaust? What is a holocaust? The word holocaust comes from Greek. It comes, the, we say holos, which means complete, and kostos, which means burned, complete burned. It is today the preferred name for what the Nazis did during their regime in Germany. It was a genocide of six million Jews, but not just Jews. The gypsies, the homosexuals, the Christians that weren't part of the Nazi regime. In Hebrew, we call it Shoah. It's the synonym for, for the Holocaust. And what we see here, we see some of the Jews, kids, adults, that were taken into the concentration camps and six million of them, you know, ended up getting killed for being Jewish. And that was their crime. They were Jewish. How does a Holocaust happen? Do we know who's the lady on the left? Do you guys know? Anna Frank. Everybody knows Anna Frank. In 1933, there were nine million Jews living in Europe in 21 countries. Six million of them, that's two thirds. Two out of every three Jews were perished during the Holocaust. European Jews, while they were victims of the Holocaust, they were undesirable. They were also killed and there were medical experiments done on them 
And half a million gypsies, as I said before, were also <coughs> murdered. But just because it happened, just because the Holocaust happened, it doesn't mean that we don't have a lesson to learn. We have to continue to learn about it. The Nazis, they believed that if they would exterminate the Jews, it is justified. It is justified to terminate a nation because they weren't part of the Aries. Of part, they weren't German enough. Hitler and the Nazis blamed the Jews for all the social and economic problems in Germany. As the pure Aryan race had to take control by getting rid of the Jews. Anti-Semitism was a large part of the Nazis' ideas. Hitler wanted to exterminate all of them, all of us. <clears throat> Many people in Germany were part of it. But not everybody was a member of the Nazi party. There were many people that were just bystanders. They just went along with what the regime was doing. And this is a lesson for all of us. We can't just sit still. We can't just say, it's wrong, but there's nothing I can do about it. There's always something we can do. There's always something we should do. That's our obligation. It doesn't matter what is your faith. It doesn't matter what is your background, what is your color. There is right and there is wrong. And when we see wrong, we have to take care of it. There was a German pastor who wrote a well-known poem. I'm going to read it in a few minutes, in a few seconds. It describes very well the dangers of not taking action, actions against human rights, actions against people who do wrong to others. It goes as follows. In Germany, they came first for the communists. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the trained unions. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade union. Then they came for the Jews. I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. And then, then they came for me. And by that time, there was no one left to speak up. It is our obligation to make sure that we always speak up. I would like to show you a video. The video will, this, will show somebody who is a neighbor of my father. I know him for many, many, many years. And this is his story. Go ahead. Stand up in our city in Poland. I am of a generation without education. I only had two years public school. And my purpose in those years was to survive the day. Tomorrow would be another day to fight for life. I was supposed to get up on a train 
to Treblinka with my younger brother. He was 10 years old. My late grandmother ordered me to run away and save yourself. I knew about a camp that my mother was working on. I stole my way in through the fences. I lied about my age. I told them I was 15. We worked there for 18 months. They rounded us up again and loaded us up on a cattle car and shipped us without knowing where. I was with my father at the time. Eventually, after a few days being on the road, we wound up in Auschwitz-Birkenau. Birkenau was actually the main factory of killing. When they unloaded the train, we were about 1,800 people. A lot of them died on the way, not having water and food. We had our hairs cut. We were tattooed. From that moment on, I have lost my name. We were never called by name, only by the number. They took us into a barrack. They uh, took the gypsies out and they burned them that night. We took the gypsies' place. They had a selection, took my father away to Auschwitz III. My father was a strong man, but he didn't last very long. Some people that came back told me that my father is not alive anymore. Those people got very sick with diseases, covered with lies. People were dying extremely fast. We went to sleep, hoping that tomorrow morning you'll wake up. Life in Burkina was a matter of living day by day. And that's how the months and the weeks go by. The Germans had a tendency of making selection and burning Jews. The next selection happened on Yom Kippur, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. On the first selection, my friend and I were cut, and we were both taken in to an isolation barrack. That's when they took all those people to the guest chambers. And my father was able to smuggle in, when we came to Burkina, a $5 gold piece. He put it under his tongue. I gave it to my uncle to try and buy bread for it or whatever we needed. My uncle came back from his work. He was told that your nephew, Scott, is going to the ovens. He went to a couple and he says, I got $5 gold piece. Take out my nephew from that barrack. A $5 gold piece saved my life. On May the 4th, 1945, we were liberated by the 4th Division of the American Army. My chances of surviving were so minimal, it was something that you can't believe. Just hold on here. I want to tell you the story about Martin, who we just saw the video. So Martin and my father grew up in the same town in Romania. And when they moved to Martin's family, when they moved to Germany and were taken to Auschwitz, as you could see in the story, we found it amazing that years later, there are neighbors back in Israel. What 
does it mean, a story like that? How do we digest a story like that? We are all people of faith. We are all asking ourselves, how could that happen? Where was God in all of that? We Jews, we are good in arguing. Some of us do it for a living. So we ask ourselves, how can it be? How can that be? Jews worldwide are now observing Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Doing. During these next 24 hours, we go from sundown to sundown, back home in Israel. It's filled with memorial services, all kinds, in order to remember and to never forget the six million. Places of entertainment are closed tonight in Israel. Israeli television has no commercials in the next 24 hours, and all you see is video clips like this one. Everybody in school goes with white shirts and black pants, and the school is open only for services. Only Holocaust-related re programming and radio plays sobering music flags on public buildings. We're going to do an experiment. We're going to do something which we are doing in Israel every day, every year, on Yom HaShoah. Every Yom HaShoah in Israel, a siren goes on for two minutes. And when the siren goes off, everything stops. We're going to do that experiment today. So what I'm going to ask you all to do, is this coming off? If you are able, stand up. Can you get the second video? Let's just walk around. We're going to pretend as if we are just having a regular day. A Take a look at the video. From Ma'oz Israel. And this is Yom HaShoah. Walk around. This is Holocaust And when the siren comes off, we're just going to stand for two minutes. And you can keep on looking at the video as we are doing that. And the Holocaust. A regular day in Tel Aviv. A siren is going to sound all across the nation of Israel. And everywhere, the nation will stop for two minutes to remember all those killed in the Holocaust. So take a look at the cars. And now we'll pause with the nation of Israel. Everybody's just going along on their way to experience what it's like here on Yom HaShoah. Who would know? Now let's stop. Just the way traffic does in Tel Aviv and all over Israel. Everybody stops. Everybody gets out of the car.
Thank you. Let's get back to our seat. I want to say a personal thank you for all of you for participating in this very emotional moment for all of us Israelis. We are in the wrong slide. Go back. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Memorial Day. In 1953, Israel was five years old, and it became an official Israeli Observance Day. It was signed into law by then Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion. The English Day changes every year, as Yom HaShoah is set according to the Jewish calendar. It is on the 27th day of the month of Nisan. This day was chosen because it was the day of the Warsaw getting ghetto uprising. It is the day the ceremonies open in Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, with the lighting of six torches in memory of the six million people, six million Jews who perished. So I gotta tell you, I do ask myself a million times, okay, why did it happen? How did it happen? Where was God in all of this? There's a quote from the um, prophet Habakkuk in which he say, why do you allow violence, loneliness, crime, cruelty to spread everywhere? If the prophets didn't know, how can we know? How can we know? But so too, if the prophets are entitled to ask the question, so can I. I can ask the question. There are many rabbis on our end that were trying to give an answer to that. One thing which we hear over and over again is that we don't understand God. We are human beings, and we have to remember that. But what we are obligated to do is to learn. We can only concede that there are things that lie beyond the finite can of the human mind. It is not my task to justify God on this. Only God himself can answer for what he allowed to happen. And the only answer we will accept is the immediate and complete redemption that will forever banish evil from the face of the earth and bring the light and goodness and perfection of God's creation. That's our duty. If we are going to be good, God is going to be good for us. There is absolutely no rationalistic explanation for the Holocaust except for the fact that it was a divine decree. Why it happened? is above any of us comprehension. It is definitely not because of punishment for sin. On the contrary, 
all those who were murdered in the Holocaust, we in Israel are calling them Kedoshim, they are holy ones, since they were murdered in sanctification of God's name. God was probably right there alongside the victims, weeping as he saw how evil his creations could be. We want free will. That's what we want. He gave it to us, right? And that's what all is foreseen, yet free. <clears throat> yet free will is given. Perhaps it can be suggested that putting the blame on God might be comparable to a situation of a teenager, right? Who begs you to let him drive your car, although he promises to be careful and be responsible. We all know how that can happen. And then he will blame you for giving him the keys. If we believe that humanity deserves free will and freedom of choice, then we must accept the consequences of mankind's decision. If pre-war Europe, in pre-war Europe, sorry about that, it was the German people who were epitomizing culture, scientific advancement, and these very same people perpetrated the violent actions of the Nazis. The most famous Holocaust survival of them all, Elie Wiesel, said, after the Holocaust, I did not lose faith in God. I lost faith in mankind. Isaiah 55, 8 states in the scripts, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God can permit evil without being evil. And at the first human sin in the Garden of Eden, God allowed Adam and Eve to break his law. Yet this did not make God evil or sinful. Likewise, other evils that appear much greater, such as the Holocaust, may be permitted by God, yet they are certainly not due to evil actions on his part. So the Holocaust, the Nazis are there, right? Where is the United States of America in that? This was in a newspaper in 1940 in the US. And you know, we're gonna move soon 68 years forward, 70 years forward, can you go to the next one? When this came, this came a year later, when it was obvious that the U.S. needs to interfere with what's going on. Ladies and gentlemen, when we say Holocaust, what comes to mind? The first one is Adolf Hitler. Second one, Nazi Germany. The third one, injustice. It's just not fair. Next one, genocide and the next one is massacre. How can that be? What does it make me feel when I hear 
the word Holocaust. I get afraid, I get scared. Let's move 70 years ahead, Iran and other things. Makes me angry, I feel helpless, and I ask why. So what's next? Yeah. We have to teach, we have to remember. I applaud you for coming here tonight to listen. And I hope I'm not scaring you too much. We're going to change tune in a minute. But we have to get up in the morning and appreciate the day, seize the day. Thank the Lord for letting us live today rather than in those days. Right? But we must be sure that this doesn't happen again. Yeah? So before we go into my father's story, I want to share one small story with you guys. My parents, my father, met my mother in Israel. So we're going to focus my story mainly about my father. My father was born in Romania in a city called Berlad. So Romania has, has towns that make a living of oil, produce oil, and they have cities that may, were farmers. My family owned a bakery. They were making bread and selling it. So my father was born 1931. 1939 comes, the Nazis, World War II. My father is eight years old. 1940, my father is nine years old. The Nazis invade Romania, and they take over. And they start to deport the Jews, like Martin's family, they were deported. They start deport the Jews, but they had to eat. The soldiers that came had to eat. So my nine-year-old father, I guess in a traditional Jewish way, if I can stereotype the Jews, I'm allowed to, uh, became a trade. He's like, I'm going to trade with you guys. Don't send me anywhere. I will give you bread. So they, they, they let the family stay. And for five years, my father saw his friends disappearing from town one by one with their families, just like Martin, going to all the concentration camps and never coming back. While he matured very quickly to understand Europe is not the place for us. We are different there. And just because of that, the Nazi regimes came about. They hated our gods. 1945 came. My father lost two brothers that went into the forest to become partisans, part of the Bielski, and never came back. And the war was over. And now, what are you going to do now? So it's funny, because I was a fundraiser for the Jewish Agency for Israel. Representatives of the Jewish Agency for Israel came to the town, and the few kids and the few adults that stayed there, they told them, you need to go to Israel. They go, but there is no Israel. Well, you're going to go and you're going to build it up because we are done with living in the diaspora. This picture was published in 1978. That's 30 years after Israel was established. And the guy with the 
circled over there. That's my father. The boat he's on is Exodus. If you saw the movie, if you heard the story. So I'll tell you the story of this picture. It's 1978. My father is now working for the Israel Aircraft Industries. He is 46 years old. And a friend of his who reads the Jerusalem Post that made Aliyah from the US is coming to him and he's telling him, Avram, I saw your picture today in the Jerusalem Post. So my father by then has a dry Israeli sense of humor and he's telling him, I didn't give any interviews to anybody in the last 30 years. The guy is telling him, no, 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 I have seen your picture. And he's showing him the picture. So my father was thrilled because after 30 years, he didn't change. He looks the same 16-year-old guy. And that was a series of articles about the Jews that moved from the diaspora to Israel. So my father came to Israel at the age of 16, was giving a rifle and told him, we have an independence war right now, you need to fight. Next one. When the war was over, the independence war, my father began to work for the Israel aircraft industries, which was built, and they were building airplanes at the time. So this is my father learning how to build and fix airplanes. Next one. And the amazing thing about it is that everybody who was there was a Holocaust survivor or a son of a Holocaust survivor or like my father who moved to the promised land without the family. That picture on Exodus was from an article that was done back then about kids, orphans, that left Europe to go to Israel. So this is my father. Today he has the same belly as I do, so we don't have, it doesn't look as good as this picture. But my father became my role model because he came, because he had learned a valuable lesson, because he knew that he needs to do something to promise a better future for the Jewish people, for the world. And what can one man do? You go and you create and you build and you need to learn from the past, but not live in the past. And that's why my parents, I admire them. My mom passed away a year ago. I can tell you that my parents met in Israel. They were from the same neighborhood in Romania, but they never saw each other. My mother came with her family in 1950. Israel was two years old. Romania was already a communist country in 1948, 1949. So every year they allowed a certain number of Jews to leave. That's why she only left until 1950. And they met in Israel on a kibbutz. Next picture. When my father graduated, the, 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 it was the Technion at the time, 
and started to build the country and met my mother and built a family. It was the biggest win over the Nazis. We are the biggest win over the Nazis. The fact that there is a country, the fact that we are doing miracles. You see today, everywhere you go, you touch something that it is an Israeli invention. Everywhere you go, you have a cell phone, you use instant messenger, you use a, a, a flash key drive, and God forbid if you are sick, you're pretty much using Israeli inventions. We are putting a phenomenal country there that is trying to do the moral thing every day, day in and day out. And we are so proud of it. Thank you. So this is what a family looks 60 years after the Holocaust. The ugly dude on the right, that's me. Two kids. My father and my mother of blessed memory. My brother, who is a combat pilot in the Israeli Air Force. His two sons and a granddaughter. And we are just getting bigger and bigger and stronger. I'm going to show you another picture. Go ahead. So these are my two kids. This older one is 18 years old. And what do Israelis do when they're 18 years old? Just join the army. Next picture. So this is the dude. <laughs> you know? And we love him. He's a great kid. And he's the future. And we are the future. You guys, we, it doesn't matter where we are. We are the future. We had that horrendous experience. We ask God questions. We understand that we don't know why it happened. But we also know that if we're going to do right by God, we're going to be just fine. We're going to defeat evil no matter what. Right? So I want to say thank you for coming here. I want to say thank you for supporting us. It is my pleasure and honor to do the job that I do. I feel privileged that that's what I do. And ladies and gentlemen, with your help and with your spirit and with your faith, we are going to win against the evil in the world. I want to say thank you very much for listening to me. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, Boaz. So appreciate your presentation. My pleasure. Awesome. Boaz has kindly agreed that if any of you have any questions for him, that he will be glad to try and answer them for you. So we're just going to take a moment here. If you have a question, don't hesitate. Come on up here so you can use the microphone, and we'll let you ask him your question. He will be glad to answer for you. Does anyone have anything they want to ask him before we break? Thank you very much. There you go. 
the older guy, his name is Guy. So I'll tell you a story why his name is Guy. So Guy was born in the US, and we had to pick a name that is the same in Israel and in the US. And I insisted on a name without the letter R, because of my R. Because when I say R, nobody understands. <laughs> so we picked the name Guy, and that's his name. And the, the younger one, his name is Tomer, T-O-M-E-R, and I, I lost that battle without the R. So. <laughs> Thank you. Correct. The question is about the, question, the sirens. Yeah. That's right. The question was about the sirens. Is it just in Tel Aviv or is it all over the country? All over the country. If you're on the freeway between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, the car stops, everybody gets out of the car, and everybody stands for two minutes. It is a very powerful event because everybody knows it's coming, but as you see, nobody will stop a minute before 11 o'clock to get out of the car. No, <laughs> you keep on going, you keep on going. And there's a message why we do that. We do that because we don't forget, but we don't stop our lives. We move on. And that's why we do it. So nobody, nobody does anything until the siren stops. But when it stops, it stops for two minutes. Thank you for asking. Anyone else? Yes. Yes, Tina. Do you want to repeat the question or should I? Right. The question was, there's people now who are trying to do revisionist history or saying that the Holocaust never existed. What can we do to speak into that and also as evidence that it is factually something that took place. We just have to do what we are doing already. As we said, when we ask ourselves, how did God let it happen? We don't understand how did God let it happen. We also don't understand how can somebody get up today and say it never happened when you have all the pictures, when you have all the survivors, when you have all the documentation that it happened. That's evil that's saying it didn't happen. So we are not part of the evil, and we will keep on remembering, and we will keep on honor the ones that were killed and murdered and sacrificed. They are Kedoshim. They are holy ones for us. And we will keep on remembering them forever and ever and ever, and we will get stronger and stronger, and every year, on the Holocaust Memorial Day at 11 a.m. for two minutes, no matter what everybody else is saying, a strong country will stop for two minutes to remember that. And let me tell you, I mean, um, I know many of you travel to Israel on a regular basis, and I'm so thankful for, for, for you for doing that. I encourage, if you have a chance to be during this time in Israel, it's an unbelievable experience. Because if you are planning on going out tonight in Israel, you're in trouble. Because all the restaurants are closed. You have to buy before and have food in your hotel room, or you can go to the supermarket, which is open. But there's no movie. There's no theater. There's nothing. Because it's Holocaust Memorial Day. That's how we remember. And that's how we tell the story. <laughs>
Anyone else? You forgot to say that when the Jewish people started in, up Israel, there were, they were uh, nine to one uh, Arabs against them. And Israel itself is a miracle. So thank you for saying that. But today we are talking about the Holocaust. And the reason why I didn't mention that is really just because we need to focus on the Holocaust and remember the Holocaust. Remember that we were helpless when the Nazi regimes were there. And that will never happen again. We will never be as helpless as we were in the 1930s. Never again. Would you um, explain to us as um, Christians and Americans how the Holocaust affects the psyche of every Jew? That it's, how, how it, it, explain, give, give some examples to, um, just to help us understand how that is not a historic event Unfortunately, it's a living event in most every Jew today, and how that works, whether they even have family that they know died in the Holocaust. Okay, so we have another hour to go. <laughs> the Jews, the Israelis, Israel came about because of the Holocaust, survival. So we were one against nine, and we won. We survived. We get better, and we survive. Every Israeli, without a doubt, has in his or her mind the Holocaust as a chip right here. We cannot let that happen again. So when we are attacked, if we are attacked by our neighbors today or by terrorists, we just get better. We just get to the bottom of it, and we take care of the problem. We are not going to let the horrific past of the Holocaust leave our lives today, but it is here. So whenever something happens, if somebody sends a missile from Gaza into Israel today, we react forcefully. And if anybody is doubting our right to do that, you know, they should see maybe some of those videos and understand that we were literally, people hated us just because we were different. So we moved to our country, to our promised land. We have the right to be there. We have the right to stay there. We have the right to form our own country and we will defend it. We send our kids to the army. It's unquestionable. Nobody questions, should I go to the army or not? We go. Guys and girls, men, women. Three years. You turn 18, you go to the army. You graduate high school, you go to the army. You start the selection process when you are a junior in high school. By the time you are finishing high school, you know what are you going to do in the army. My son knew. He knew exactly what he's going to do. 
That's how we deal with our history. We are committed to make sure that nothing like that ever happens again to the Jewish people. And on a day-to-day -day basis, while it is in the back of our mind, we thrive, we make the country better, we try to be a light to the nations, and we are damn proud of our morals and of our values, and anybody who doubts it doesn't know what they're talking about. Because if you hear what soldiers do, what soldiers go through in order to just protect the country and keep everybody safe. You have no idea. Do you know that every day, every day, there's about a hundred attempts of terrorism in Israel, give or take. But nobody writes about it, nobody knows about it. We know about it and together we will make sure that we have a strong country. Thank you. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.